Hello, fellow kids, and welcome to a bonus episode of Hello, Fellow Kids, the podcast where Josh and Mara talk about teen YA children's literature and all of that fun stuff. We were lucky enough to receive an advanced copy of The Stranger's Guide to Taliesin by John Tarot. Before we even get into the book itself, it comes with a contest, and I think this is a really interesting concept. Basically, the book is loosely based on a real home in England, and any kid, I think it's 11 to 16, who purchases a copy of this book can enter a yearly drawing to win a trip to stay at the actual house with, like, a guardian. So... If y'all are interested, upon listening to this episode, it will be out. Uh, It will have a wider release, and y'all can go pick it up for your youngins, or yourself, if you are listening to this, which don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm a potty mouth. You shouldn't be listening to this. We we, we talk about adult themes like masturbation, gas, (laughs) and non-traumatizing consensual sex. Double Double gas. gas! (laughs) <laughs> a quote from Paperback Crush by Gabrielle Moss, which we might be reading for a future episode. Yeah. If, if you want that, then you should email us and say, you should definitely read that book. Yeah. <laughs> or just like email us like your grocery list or something. I don't yeah, know. We'll, we'll read just, it on, we'll read it on we'll air. We'll do a dramatic reading of it. Yes. So there's a, there's a whole contest that goes along with this book. And I think that's pretty cool. I thought that was cool. pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, The other interesting thing, which I just learned, is that the entire publisher is a crowdfunded publisher. Yeah. So, you know, this is a very 2019 way of publishing, you know? Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Good for him. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting concept to bring crowdfunding into new realms. So. Well, why not? Yeah. I I guess I'll just put this out at the top. So, Taliston, which, obviously, the title of the book... Um, is the name of the house and what it is is it's like this mansion that was renovated from the ground up so that each room is in itself like a capsule of a different time period or a different location and so what this book is an extrapolation of that so this kid is going to go into the house and then he's going to go into different rooms but instead of just going into like a room that is a representation of a place he actually goes to the place in the time and it's a lot of it's a lot of location and time hopping that goes on. It's very, uh, think Pendragon, if you've ever read that, except all the places are, like, based on real locations instead of sci-fi and fantastical places. Though not to say sci-fi and fantasy doesn't occur here. Right, right. <laughs> There's a lot. There is a lot. There is a, this is a very full book. This is like a full season of Doctor Who. Dude, yeah. It's there, it, I was feeling like Doctor Who vibes from this. Yeah. So I guess we'll just get into it, and then we'll kind of break that down as we look at it more do we want to talk about first impressions or are we what are your first impressions okay so i'm gonna be straight up and say that i didn't really like the book but i feel like that's a me thing because i feel like this will have an audience because i didn't like this in the same way i didn't like um miss peregrine's home for peculiar children and i felt like there were similarities there so i think people who enjoyed that and um like i said doctor who would like this it's just i, I just felt like it was very not my cup of tea, but I can't point to it and go like, yeah, this was, this was wrong. This was bad. This was, du-. you know, like some of the other stuff that we did. I was just like, this is, this feels just like a matter of personal taste. Right. There's not as many, this is objectively the wrong decision. Right. It's more of a, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how I felt. Okay. 
I mean, it did get a little repetitive, but I felt like he like made an effort to like break out of that and like other like other places he'd go. So it wasn't so much find the find the oracle, find out how the door opens, go through the door. You know, right? It, it kind of so it could have easily just been that throughout. And I was thinking, oh god, is this is what this is gonna be. And then he kind of changes it up a little. I'm like, okay, this is this is better. I still don't really enjoy this that much. But again, I was like, I can see people liking this. Yeah. My opinion of it is that it buckles under its own weight of the sheer number of things it wants to do. Oh, it's... I feel like he crammed an entire series it into very one much, book. It very much feels like it should have been a full-on, if not a trilogy, like even more than mm-hmm. that. Like you could do you could do an entire room per book or like two or three rooms per book. Right, um, yeah. With a little bit of, and I feel like... Maybe that's what I would have liked it better if he'd done that. Yeah. Um, but, so that's kind of like my major criticism. And that's, I don't know. I, I don't think that's that bad of a criticism. Like, there's a lot. There's a lot to read. Maybe people would like it to have a whole lot of stuff rather than the alternative of like, oh, I'll break it up into rooms. And then it, he feels like he has to have filler in there to like, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, so let's just, let's get into it and you'll kind of see what we're talking about right. here. I love the numbering for this uh, because of... <laughs> when they keep going back to the second room. <laughs> so, chapter zero. Meet Joe Darkin. Joe lives in an abandoned school bus in Essex. That's in England. <laughs> he looks at the microphone like, you're that kids? Take notes. <laughs> you're gonna need to know this later. <laughs> Until recently, he lived with his parents, Thomas and Laverna. The Darkens had been on the run for as long as Joe can remember, never staying anywhere for too long. But recently, uh, his family was attacked and Joe fled to the bus where he's been living ever since. Joe follows a strict set of rules that include basic preparedness and living undetected, as well as the golden rule to take his medicine once every 13 hours to treat a rare heart condition. His only friend is Griswold, one of the local crows. This morning, Joe has run out of medicine, and his parents still have not come to find him. He knows he must head into town to get more medicine, and a sudden police raid on the wooded roundabout his bus is parked in seals that decision to leave. He flees into the night, and after some time finds himself in front of a large neglected home with an immense hedged yard. He breaks through the rusted gate to escape the view of a fallen car, and once on the property, he is greeted by a rough, mysterious voice. Okay, so how sure were you that the medicine was going to be BS? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, yeah, that's there's, not a thing. There's there's no name for it, and there's no, like... Like, the medicine. Yeah, capital M medicine. Yeah, I'm like, no. Sorry, um, Joe. That's not for real. That's not a thing. I have a note here about, do you know the skate deck over on uh, the one? Because there's only one. Uh, yeah, I, I went there I went there a few times when I was a kid. Yeah, so I went there a bunch, and... Uh, so it's it's the skate deck that's mostly indoors with a little like outdoor patio yeah, head that yeah. overlooks kind of just like an empty lot. I would always fall down on that patio. Yeah. Without fail. Yeah, I just wouldn't go out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like skating inside like just fine. Then go. Out. They'd have like those doors open so you could like skate yeah. outside and then go back in. I'd always just eat shit every time. I'm like, oh. I never learned how to stop at all. No, me so neither. Just, I have to hit the stairs. Just... <laughs> that little step up, I'd have to hit that fall on my knees and be like, okay, I'm going to kind of crawl up, right? I just got really used to smacking into the into the wall with my chest. <clears throat> I'm good. Yeah, I never did wall. I just did that stare. And everybody's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, that's just how I stop. Yeah. Um, 
but my point of all this is that that empty lot had like a like an abandoned like bus or van or something in it for a time i don't know if it's still there and at one point there were these kids that came up and were on the other side of the fence like in the field and they were asking us for food because they said that they were like homeless and lived in the bus which I don't know if that was true or not, but I always remembered that. And so when I read about him living in the bus. Yeah, you know, you always kids. like bring your bag of spare food and you go to the skate deck. That's a very strange place to ask for food. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not to be unsympathetic, but little kid on skates at the skate deck's not going to have like a sack of sandwiches. I mean, they might have like a glow stick. Yeah. <laughs> and then they'll be like, if you come in, do the chicken dance and maybe you'll win a prize. You win some sweet tarts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, are we being hateful right now? No, we're just talking about the realistic limitations of asking for food at a skate deck. <laughs> okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> like, I was at a grocery store or something. Hi? Outside of a grocery yeah, store. Yeah, no, like a place where people are actually going and getting <laughs> large quantities of food. Not where you get, like, the little, like, single-serving tub of ice cream that's, like, half orange sherbet, half yeah. uh, vanilla or whatever. Yeah. With the little, like, wooden, like, it's not even a spoon, it's just a little tongue depressor. Like, like you maybe you could have gone, skated back in, hit a wall, and then, like, inched over to the, like, the, and gotten them, like, a little tray of nachos. <laughs> right. With, with, like, the crummy cheese. <laughs> <laughs> then be like, what, what song do you want me to put on? Uh, so we got, uh. Baby br- One More Time. Yeah, we got, we got Baby <laughs> One More Time, or if you want something heavier, we have Traps Headstrong, which only received play ever at the skate deck. <laughs> or Crazy, and it's the stop mix. So we all have to stop in the middle. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Uh, we should probably go back to Taliston. Chapter one? Oh, wait. There was, uh, I had a pet peeve in this. That was bugging me. It seemed like he kind of used crow and raven interchangeably. Crows and ravens are completely different birds. Right. He, yeah, because I wrote down that he's a crow, and I was like, that's interesting that he's not a raven, and then a few chapters later, he's he a, a raven. raven. I was like, I was like, like uh-uh, no, different he was birds, a crow. Different birds. Yeah, uh, you know a raven when you see one, because they're ginormous. Yeah. They are very big. <laughs> and you see the crow, and you're just like, oh, okay, I will not mix those up again, because raven's like the size of a house. That's a... <laughs> raven's like the size I of my cat. I... <laughs> house, big. I think that's a rock. <laughs> Oh, my mistake. I always mix those up, ravens and rocks. <laughs> okay, chapter one. Chapter one. The voice belongs to a gaunt teenager named Gunner. He takes Joe closer to the house and explains that he believes it to be haunted. He calls people to it, which is what happened to his sister, who hasn't been seen since going inside the house. Gunner has with him a very old book called The Stranger's Guide to the Dark House and Dangerous Gardens of Taliston, including the key to unlocking its immortal labyrinth and the secret that lies within. Or, The Stranger's Guide to Taliston. It's a word title. <laughs> I see why he, he shortened it. Well, it's it like in the, the... <laughs> in the 1800s, that's how you would name yeah. every book. <laughs> in which, such and such, and then there's like, ease at the end of which. <laughs> <laughs> in which in, in which, because in would have like two ends. Right. <laughs> yeah. Gunner wants Joe's help reading and understanding the tome so he can find his sister, but Joe's running out of time to find more medicine. When the clock strikes midnight, however, the darkness of the new moon gives way to the house completely restored. Well, sort of. The property has reverted to the year 1852 before it fell into disrepair. Carved into the stone in front of Joe is a labyrinth with 13 points that look oddly familiar to the chapter illustrations of this very novel. (laughs) The boys enter the house, which is referred to in the guide as the old rectory uh, looking for the next room called the hall of mirrors they're spotted by a group of bald malevolent beings called the grim grotesques led by a man named damfino 
He's damn Fino. <laughs> Get out of here, you damn Fino. <laughs> I know, I thought that every time. <laughs> they flee the grotesques while trying to puzzle out the guidebook, which is written in fragments and riddles. The boys are assisted by a man named Reverend Nathaniel Gray, who faces down the grotesques using rock magic and gives the boys passage. Suddenly, Griswold snatches Gray's magic stone and delivers it to Joe, which drops the power holding the grotesque at bay, and they kill the Reverend. Joe places the stone against the labyrinth carving on the standing stone, and the landscape changes again. When it settles, Gunner is gone. Okay, so, the first chapter, like, chapter zero, is just like, there's a kid, he's homeless, he finds a house. And then the second chapter, just cram just so much it just expands exponentially at that point all of a sudden there's there are these the the bald monsters and rock magic and time travel and all of that and I, like when i was reading it I'm, i just had like my brain short-circuited for a period until i got <laughs> used to it i was just like i thought he was just gonna like stay in this house and like find shelter because he lived oh oh no oh where the rock magic i was expecting rock magic <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was kind of like okay (laughs) it's a lot it is a lot it's a lot to start with and we've talked about before uh how my personal preference for fantasy and stuff is to start small and then progressively get bigger which with chapter one this is a good start but then it skips from there to like a very wide point of the cone and so i wasn't ready for it um but i know a lot of people are really into the just give me everything and let me figure it out afterwards it's very much like here we are in the thick of it now go 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 yeah. and you're like what yeah um <laughs> but yeah so this book overall is very pen dragon meets like you were saying uh miss peregrine because mm-hmm. the grim grotesques reminded me of the yeah the whatever it's called that are hunting them down through the uh yeah the different i think that's why i made that comparison yeah yeah the, I, I didn't enjoy the story the same way i didn't enjoy miss peregrine right for... so i was just like okay so this book would have an audience then <laughs> right because you're like, like i don't really like it but miss peregrine sold millions of copies so it did. yeah shows what i know <laughs> they made a movie i mean i liked this better than i did miss peregrine i gave i think i gave miss peregrine one star but yeah, and then the idea of like the the locations being kind of locked in time, kind of separate from everything else, and having very particular ways—I almost said peculiar—very particular <laughs> ways of getting in and out and stuff. When I say rock magic, by the way, I'm referring to—he basically has like this stone pendant, um, and his is dark. And uh, the idea of elements comes into play in a little bit here, and so his is the element of shadow, and that is the power that he's using to kind of hold the uh, the grim grotesque back, as I understand it. So the carving of the labyrinth they sees on the standing stone is at the top of each chapter, and there are points for each room, and as you go to each chapter, it changes which one is, like, darkened out, so that you know where he's, where he's at. at. I yeah. like the fact that they, they tweak it for each chapter, so you know where you are. I like when they do that, like, how I complained in the first Fablehaven that the house the, didn't change, yeah. and then in the second one it did, and I was like, <laughs> yeah! Maybe people said that to him, and he was just like, okay, let's change that. Because <laughs> Brandon Mull seems like he takes suggestions. Chapter two, and I know that we're skipping a lot, but the thing is, there is so There's much. There's so much. And you kind of have to just piece out what ends up being the most important for the whole of the story, as opposed to, like, each particular room. Because there's a lot of stuff that, like, comes and goes just for that room, and we might not touch on it as much because we have to cover the whole thing. There's a thing you didn't mention that's going to come up later. Yeah. So you travel through the rooms with the Oracle and stuff. Yeah. But, um... The way to, like, this all starts up... Wait, did you mention this? The way this all starts up is, like, when... Uh, this particular moon time, that dark moon, is when 
Then like, okay, I'm going to go in there. and then Yeah, the, well, when he first goes in at the end of... Uh, but that's how the bad dudes can travel yeah. and meet him at any I think it's just the new moon, I think is all it is. It's just the new moon. But then there's like moon titles and all of that. Yeah. I don't well, really I thought that about. was important because he ends up utilizing that path himself. No, it later. is super important because there, as it goes on, you realize that there are multiple ways to get between each uh, room. I just thought that might create confusion later if we didn't address it. Yeah, well, it creates confusion. You're going to be confused no matter what. Even the four-star review, did you read that one? They're like, I was confused at some of this. Right. <laughs> I didn't really know what's going on. <laughs> and I was like, so that's still four stars? Okay. okay. Yeah, so like, and again, we're going to get into this a bit more, but I just felt like it had so many ideas and kept piling them on, but it couldn't sustain itself and it just kind of... You just kind of watched it slowly buckle underneath it When all. I read the author's note at the end, I was like, that explains it. Because he's had this in his head for years. Yeah. This story. And it shows. That's not a bad thing. I'm just saying that. Yeah, like, no, because like. He's I, just lived with it in his head. And he's like, I got it. Every bit's important. Every port. Yeah. Every port. Yeah. The hell has to be in there. Yeah. Because like, you know, I've been working on stuff for many years. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a thing because it's a combination of the more you think about it, the more complex you end up making it which yeah. can be really important but then you also have to know kill your darlings right. cut out everything that isn't vital to what the end product needs to be yeah a lot of that can just exist in your head as like that was the structure that i used to get this end result one of the big things about this that really started getting difficult was the numerology of it all like everything is relied on 13 but then there's also five and there's also and like it just kept there were too many things where it's like there's like the five elements and the seven things to remember and the 13 rooms and all that. I'm like, we just need one of those. Just choose one. <laughs> stick with that. <laughs> Wait. Yes. And then like the objects that like, yeah. The, oh my gosh. I think he even mentioned at some point. And so like, yeah, there were at, three, at one point, at one point, seven. yeah, Joe is just like, seriously, just friggin'. <laughs> which like the self-awareness is good, but also take that into consideration when you're editing yeah. because the reader's going to feel that way long before the, yeah kid does i mean how many times have we done like reviews for books well and we're just like okay chapter five they ate toast yeah <laughs> like, that's it. well this one's like there was toast and the toast was a magical toast and then the toast opened up a wall and then they had to go through the wall and they fight all the toast and then the <laughs> toast is secretly his mother <laughs> yeah and he's like mom and she's all because mm, she's toast <laughs> it's just just some like middle ground or yeah. something it doesn't have to be like everything yeah. or nothing and I at least appreciate how much thought and work went into this. Right. Also, it kind of reminded me of Riverland, which we also didn't quite enjoy. Yeah. But, like, we still appreciated, like, elements of it. And yeah. And it's like, here, I appreciate elements of it. Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a lot easier for us to review something that's, like, either that was awful or, like, that was, like, very run-of-the-mill. But this is, like, it's trying a bunch of things. And so when the more you try, the harder it is for us to kind of work through it because it's obvious that there's a lot yeah. you're putting a lot of effort into it and so we have to put forth a similar amount of effort to kind of to yeah to review it and yeah comment on it and exactly so i was sitting there like i appreciate this in the same way i appreciate riverland she was trying something in riverland that not many people attempt right and so it's like i admire that that's really cool right. and i felt the same way about this and it just and just like Damn it, I wish I liked this. Right, so that's the thing is like I don't know I don't know if I can hate something that don't puts a ton of effort in, but that doesn't mean that I have to like it. Right. 
you you get hate if it's just like it's obvious that you didn't care and then yes. you just handed it to me and expected me to care you, you didn't care <laughs> you were jumping on a, a publishing trend yeah and where's my money this does not feel like a cash grab right or jumping and this doesn't really fit any any of the uh the publishing trend yeah it's so, it's not a fairy tale retelling it's not a, no. a, a, a like a post-apocalyptic it's <laughs> it's its own thing which i like yeah even though we've already compared it to like Ben Dragon and Miss right. Peregrine, but um, those are kind of like weird too. Yeah, those so, those don't fit too cleanly in their own like the trends of their time either. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Chapter two. <laughs> <laughs> is this gonna be a long episode? <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, like get used to the sec the second room because you're gonna be here for. Oh more yeah, hours. get cozy. <laughs> Just like poor uh, Romano. <laughs> this freaking Groundhog Day he's having here. But go ahead. Chapter two, which is chapter three. It doesn't actually say chapter two. It's just the number two because it's referring to room two. So when he's not in the house yet, it's room zero. But I like the idea of it being chapter two and then chapter two again when he goes back to chapter two. Yeah, I like that too. It's funny. Uh, Joe and Griswold are now in a new hall with several branching passages. And he realizes that his countdown timer for his medicine, which he keeps on a necklace, right? It's like a... um, It stops. It stops, totally. Exhausted by what he's experienced so far, Joe falls asleep and is awakened by a photographer named Romano. He explains that the place Joe is in now, the Palazzo di Ombre, there's a lot of non-English terms that I'm going to absolutely butcher. There's like Welsh at one point. Oh and, no, and the I, Welsh. I can't Welsh. I was like, I'm so glad I'm not the person for this episode because I can't pronounce anything. There's, there's, I just know there's all these letters and you don't pronounce any of them. <laughs> it's almost as irritating as French. Right. <laughs> Except that has all the letters and you don't say any of them. <laughs> How do you speak French? <laughs> Great. <laughs> you just make vague wah, vowel wah, noises. <laughs> you say like a, like a consonant at the beginning and then the rest of it's just... He explains that the place Joe is in now, the Palazzo di Ombre, was recently purchased for restoration. Also, it's in Italy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I was like, also, it's in Italy. (laughs) (laughs) The Palazzo had once been a sanctuary in the time of the Black Plague, believed, and it's believed that the Palazzo has a magical spring of water below it. But now it's 1992 and sits in a mountainous ghost town. Joe explores the plaza looking for the Hall of Mirrors and decoding the guide. He finds a world map with locations marked across the globe, which seems to be all the locations the Talston uh, Labyrinth connects to. He also finds an array of clocks in the Hall of Mirrors, each one stopped at a time correlating to the time of a different portal mentioned in the guide. While he tries to piece the situation together, he is interrupted by Saturn, a.k.a. Time, a.k.a. Cronus, a.k.a. the... yeah... Uh, speaking to him through the mirrors, he tells Joe that the stone necklace he now wears is a shadow stone, a relic from the immortal sky, whatever that means. He explains that if Joe can make the proper sacrifice of something time cannot kill, he will be gifted the knowledge of which portal to enter next. To that end, he asks Griswold for help, and the crow replies in the universal language of nature, which Joe can now understand. As grotesques disguised as police kill Romano and approach Joe, The boy offers first his reflection, which is not one of the three things, then air, which is, and requests passage to room three, the mead hall of Turagarn in Wales. Taking a grazing shot to the shoulder, Joe goes through the portal, leaving Griswold behind. 
So this is where we start to see kind of how the pattern works, which is basically you go into the room and you locate the oracle, uh, and the oracle in each room is a specific item or group of items. The MacGuffin? Right, which will help you open the next portal. But that's not the only way to go through them, as evidenced by the fact that the very first one, he just goes through at the right moment with the the dark moon. With the dark moon, yeah. So there are multiple ways to get through these, which that kind of made it hard for me, because then I felt like it was just like, let's just keep changing the rules in order to make more challenges, um, or to get him out of situations, because later on there are parts where he's not following the established pattern at all, and it's just like, oh, there's just this other way to do it, and it's like, wait, what? Yeah. Why were you going through the exact same way for like six rooms when you don't <laughs> when have you to? You could have done this other thing. So I thought that was a little odd. Yeah. Um, yeah, poor Romano though, because he seems like a perfectly cool really guy. Nice and he person. just he just gets shot by the police and then he's gonna they're gonna come back around to the room and because the rooms are locked in time, he gets <laughs> he's gonna get shot again if something yeah. doesn't change. Yeah. <laughs> when when we go through the again I'll I'll comment on the thing that happens later. Okay. He seemed like very nice person. Like, when he finds the kid, uh, I, I think he, like, tries to, like, touch him or something, and Joe's just like, none of this, and he respects that and backs off. Yeah. And I was like, good person. This is a good person here. Because <laughs> none of, like, those weird adults that are in these books are all like, oh, you want to know a secret? I'm like, no secrets. Like, quit being a creep. And, like, Romano, no creep at all. Right. But he, but he, and it was also, like, this responsible adult where he's like, I'm going to be uh, photographing in the hills and stuff. I don't feel cool leaving you in this house by yourself, so you're coming with me. Right. (laughs) We're calling the police because this is just weird that you don't even know where you are and you're a kid here by yourself. So it was like a real adult was in this book instead of like, we got to keep the story moving along. Right. So here's this adult who's just going to go with the flow. Right. (laughs) He's not going to question it. Well, he's like, no, um, excuse me. Yeah. English kid who's like suddenly in Italy and doesn't know what's going on. Is this like human trafficking? What's happening here? Right. So... (laughs) So I just liked there was an adult here. Yeah, and I like that he's like, it, it's kind of like the, I know you're not supposed to go with strangers, but it's going to be even, like, worse if I just leave you in this room in the middle of a ghost town in the middle of Italy in the middle right. of nowhere. Yeah. Okay, just hang out with me. It'll be fine. <laughs> I've called the police, so you know I'm yeah. going to be a creep. <laughs> like, it's all right. And then the police kill me. And the police kill me because they can't come into the house. Yeah, like, uh, Joe doesn't know what's going on, but the crow, like, Raven, Raven Crow, <laughs> here's it all. It's like, yeah, they're arguing. <laughs> He's inviting them inside. And they don't want to come in. Now they're fighting about it. <laughs> Craven? Craven. Well, we could just say Griswold. Right. It's a Griswold. <laughs> <laughs> the Griswold family Christmas tree, uh, which I thought every single time. <laughs> so this is where we get mention of the immortal sky. Expect to hear, if you're, especially if you're reading about the immortal sky, the infinite ocean, and the eternal forest can you keep that straight write it down the uh (laughs) every time i read the infinite ocean i thought the infinite sea which is book two of the fifth wave which is where i got off the fifth wave (laughs) (laughs) you're like i'm just gonna go to shore for a while because i read the first book and i was like this is really cool and then i read the second book and i was like never mind literally nothing happened like you could you could pull the second book out of that trilogy and it would change nothing wow i was like why did i bother (laughs) chapter three Joe arrives in a wintry hall where a dark-haired woman named Rose rushes to tend to his, to his wounds. Rose introduces herself as the housekeeper and prays to the god Pan for Joe's recovery. She knows of the labyrinth and informs Joe that he is in 1887, a week before Christmas. Joe falls unconscious and awakens four days later 
to find that his lack of medicine doesn't seem to be affecting him. According to the calendar on the wall, he isn't the first visitor from the labyrinth. Uh, in June, a girl came through as well. Joe realizes the guide is missing and begins searching the tower for it. When he does, he meets Jonathan Dante? D-apostrophe-A-N-T-E. I just said Dante. Okay. The castle's master. Jonathan summons a snowy owl named Tarot, like John Tarot, the author. Hey, if you're going to self-insert... Right, well I'd, rather it be a, bird. I'd rather it be a bird than, like... And then, the most important person in the whole right. book. Right, and yeah. I, you know, I'm just, like, an average guy, but I'm really good at everything. And, like, girls really love me. Yeah. <laughs> for, like, no reason. <laughs> so, yeah, I like he's a bird. That's cool. I want to be a bird. Right. Bird's the word. Uh, Dante brings Joe to a study and explains how he turned this castle, once owned by a Celtic prince, into a retreat for artists. The castle was originally built for access to the watering hole nearby, which is supposed to have magical properties. Sound familiar? Uh, oh, the, other the previous time was okay. above a magic spring that, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> something else, I'm like, no. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, it's just, yeah. All the stuff we already read. Yeah. Okay, yeah, context. Go ahead. Dante then reveals uh, he has the guide and accuses Joe of being a magician come to take over the castle. As proof, he shows that the boy has no reflection in the mirror. He's just a vampire, okay? Joe is in prison, but soon a servant girl named uh, Serene. Yeah. Uh, my phone gonna... autocorrected to Selena bunch, so I have to make sure that I have the right name. <laughs> it was Selena. <laughs> okay, go ahead. A serving girl named Serene offers to help him escape uh, if he helps her escape in turn. In the night, the two runaways sneak into the traveling fair uh, that has arrived, and after listening to a storyteller make mention of a familiar feeling of being between worlds, they find a hiding place in the caravan for Serene. As they say goodbye, Joe realizes Serene is actually Lakelin, Gunner's uh, sister, who is far happier in this world than with her abusive brother and ignorant parents. Joe finishes hiding her just as uh, Dante arrives with several grotesques, including Damfino. Joe now understands that for whatever reason, these beasts have been hunting him since his birthday when he and his parents were first separated. Rose appears and helps Joe flee they are cornered by Dante and Damfino, the latter of whom becomes a wolf. Joe take us, takes up a nearby sword. Uh, Rose helps Joe open the oracle and obsidian mirror and sends him through as a fire erupts and begins to speak to Joe. When he first comes upon Rose, uh, she is reading a Christmas serial that contains a study in Scarlet, the first uh -huh. Sherlock Holmes sure story. So I, I was very pleased by that. Um, I was too. And I forgot to mention by name, but the fair is run by a guy named uh, Pandoro. Yeah. And that's going to be important, but I didn't realize that'd be important, so I for forgot to go back and put his name in there. Right, yeah. Pandoro. It's important. Poor Lakeland. What a name. Uh, yeah, that's what she kind of like, I know. <laughs> when he's just like, um. At least she knows, you know? Yeah. It's not like, Renezme. Oh, perfect. What <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful name I've ever heard. It's not a name. <laughs> Lakeland. Oh, yeah, and, she, and he's like, yeah, I met your brother. She goes, oh, Scott? I'm like, no, it's not Gunner. <laughs> you mean that totally real-sounding name? <laughs> so it turns out he's been molesting her for a long time, and her parents know and don't do anything about it, so it's like, I'd run away to a house, too. Yeah, and now she gets to be in a traveling fair, like... <laughs> la la la, living her best life. And she gives him a, a necklace. Yeah, That's an another one of the things I didn't realize would be... Important. So th that that's an interesting thing is that a lot a lot of stuff does end up coming back, 
but there's a butt in there and I don't know what to do with that butt. It's just everything comes back. And you're like, this was mentioned? You're like, right. oh, it was mentioned. Right. <laughs> there's just so much. <laughs> right. And it, yeah, I think it's because there's so dang much that it doesn't, a lot of it just can't have weight because it's like, there's there's too much. There's too much to have weight. I feel like for us to properly cover this, we'd have to be like that guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with like the strings on the wall <laughs> and looking all like demented. Like, okay, here we go. It's an infinite right. ocean. It is the... Right. <laughs> That's where my notes stop. Oh. <laughs> How are you feeling at this point when you gave up your notes? I was thinking, oh my gosh, it's going to keep being the same thing. And then it wasn't. And I was just like, well, I've already stopped taking notes. Yeah. So I didn't start them yeah. up again. But that's kind of the danger of this sort of situation is like, it's kind of like police procedurals, like NCIS and stuff. Those work for a lot of people. You know that every episode is going to go approximately the same way, but it's a formula that you enjoy and yeah. like you like the characters and you like the the process of solving crime and stuff, so it works for you. I don't really like that sort of show for the most part, so like those don't really do anything for me. But there are certain formulas that's like you know with a, a few tweaks and you have strong characters and stuff like that. It works fine for a lot of people a lot of times. Yeah, uh, that's uh, also this also reminds me of. Um... Russell T. Davies era of Doctor Who, which is I don't like that era. Everyone else loves it. Which era that, is that's that, that uh, the Ninth Doctor and Tenth Doctor. So like so seriously, it, the one that's like the most popular. Wait, so like when it first like it came yeah. back and started getting big again? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I that's don't Eccleston and Tennant. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it also like for a while there, it was reminding me of old school Doctor Who, which I want to like more than I do. Like, this is before the camp cancellation, and it was just serialized on television. Just because I find the serialization format so insufferable. Because they, they show, they, like, they end it like, oh no, cliffhanger. Right. And then the next episode's like the last two minutes of the previous one, and you're watching it on the DVD, and you're like, can we just edit this so right. it's all just one thing? <laughs> this is so annoying. And plus, they were so limited on money, so they're just kind of shuffling them from one. So a lot of the story is like, oh, we're split up. That that happened a lot here, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" Everybody just like, can we just all have bracelets with like, can we synchronize time or something so we all come together at this right. point <laughs> instead of all this assing around? Because ah, you know. So again, but people really enjoy that, and that's just a me thing, yeah. Not of like, you wrote the story wrong, yeah. So yeah, so when I was saying like, how it was like Doctor Who, it's like Doctor Who that I don't particularly enjoy. I wonder if I'm gonna get emails now, like, how can you not like David Tennant's Doctor? I mean. Like, I I'll take it if it means we get emails. <laughs> Forward this to Mar. This is all the reasons you're wrong. No, I love David Tennant. I think he's a wonderful actor. I've seen him in a lot of other things he's done. I just don't like his doctor. So you don't like his portrayal as well as the episode around him? Or would you like his portrayal if it was picked up and then dropped under like a different show? Right no, he still would have been shouty and overacting. Okay. And... Uh, Russell T. Davies kind of like wrote the same story over and over, which people accuse Stephen Moffat of doing, which I can kind of see towards the end, sort of. Yeah. But at least he tried to make things complicated. At least he tried to like right. put something there instead of all like, you're never going to guess what the next villain is going to be. It's going to be Daleks. Nope, it's going to be Daleks. <laughs> you're never going to guess what they're going to do. They're going to invade and kill everybody. No, they're going to invade and kill everyone. Is Moffat still showrunner? Nope. It's uh, Chibnall. He's uh, in charge now with the 13th Doctor, Jodie Whittaker. Is it good? I watched the first episode. I wasn't completely into it. Okay. <laughs> All the characters were great. It's just I didn't yeah. think the story held up. 
Okay. I was just like, okay, there's all these characters I like in a story that just isn't working. Okay. I'm pretty sure I've seen her in stuff. I don't watch Doctor Who, but I'm pretty sure I've seen her in she's stuff. She's terrific. Like, yeah. I saw her in uh, Broadchurch, okay. but she's in with David Tennant, who was fantastic <laughs> in that show. Okay. We should probably get back to this. We should. You're going to have fun editing this, aren't you? <laughs> Chapter four, Joe finds himself standing in a large kitchen watching as a woman named <sighs> Maladicero protects twin girls from the fires around them. From outside, voices call out asking the woman to release the girls, but she refuses. One of the girls escapes as Maladicero calls a curse upon the house and family, and then the fire engulfs her and the other girl. The vision recedes and Joe is standing in the same kitchen, but its decor is different and also it's not on fire. According to the book, he is in Louisiana circa 1954 and to escape he needs information from the moon line, one of the lines found uh, in palm reading. On a shelf, he sees what looks like the portal's oracle, a ceramic palmistry hand, but he drops and breaks it when a maid enters and startles him. He flees outside and runs into a girl named Evangeline, who works for Madame Lestrange, owner of the house and skilled palm reader. Joe waits in Evangeline's shack until she can come help him, and while he waits, he dreams of a night when he was five and his mother, who practiced magic, found him breaking the protective spell she placed. It had been the last time his parents had ever mentioned magic to him. Evangeline comes home and tells Joe a story that lines up with his vision. A woman accused of witchcraft left a curse on the Lestrange family for one member to die every five years. Now only one remains. Corvina, who was once the girl who escaped the fire. Evangeline takes Joe to the wishing tree, believing that if Joe can wish for a way to solve the curse, Corvina will help him leave. They arrive at the tree and ask for its help, and when they recite the curse they need to break, Joe realizes that its wording has changed over the years, which is why it hasn't been broken before. So he recites it the correct way, and the tree's cryptic answer, that Joe's journey will not give him what he has lost, for he is at the center and cannot be lost, is quickly followed by an attack from Dan Fino. Joe's sword, Ilkalember, speaks to him and then begins to sing, giving Joe the strength to fight. Damfino appears to be killed. Joe and Evangeline return to speak to Corvina, and when Joe tells her the proper original wording of the curse, Evangeline realizes they can fashion a likeness of Corvina and offer it in her place, breaking the curse. In return, Corvina reads Joe's moonline, then helps open the next door. Uh, as a definitely not dead Damfino attacks, Joe steps through the door and into an occupied bathroom, bringing Evangeline with him. I feel like I like Evangeline. I'm trying to remember. I, I liked her too. I don't think that at that time period, a young black woman in the South would have been so chummy and cavalier with a strange white boy. Yeah. Because uh, that's kind of dangerous behavior. But maybe it's like different if it had been like a young white girl and an older black guy there'd be would have been way more caution because they're like they're gonna accuse me of doing something to her and i right so i was just like i don't know about these this dynamic like maybe if it had if they hadn't been so chummy immediately but they become chummy later right like all of them right. together and that's great I thought, but but the initial apprehension would be like there there should have been way more apprehension yeah. it's like you're not coming in my house i'll help you out but, right like, like hand out food yeah. to him or something. It's like you yeah. can hang out out here. You know, I don't like, want. I don't need a strange white think, boy. Just think about trouble. the political situation for a minute, and you'll understand why I'm so cautious. Right. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, there was no acknowledgement of that. So I was just like, eh. right. Which I find happens quite a bit when British authors try to write America, like J.K. Rowling's complete misfire 
with the America magic school here that she invented. Unless she actually takes the time to put it in something it's... that gets printed and handed to me, I just have not paid any attention. Well, basically, <laughs> it, it was a, a, it's a boarding school in the East Coast that uh, is based on like some Native American stuff. But as anyone who knows some American history... Native Americans and boarding schools right. was not good. Right. So everybody yeah. that was like, oh, no. I learned that one in college. Yeah, because they don't want to tell you about it in school. I mean, you get like the Trail of Tears and stuff. You get but, like, Trail the, of the, Tears. The, the boarding stuff I didn't but have any knowledge anything of Anything that's college. more recent, they don't tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Plus one school for like all of America. That's not right. I don't know. That's not a good idea. But anyway, he did not fall <laughs> into the JK Rowling trap. Like, like it's a little bit, it's a little bit cringy when he tries to do American stuff or even non-white stuff. So, but, um, Evangeline's cool. I like her. Yeah. And, uh, the, the voodoo god Papa Legba. Yeah. That, uh, he was in American Horror Story, so I was picturing that. I'm like, Papa Legba, I know who that is from American Horror Story. Anyway, now that I derailed everything. Yeah. I feel like... The answer to the curse being, oh, just knit a likeness of yourself. And then it's like, it was like a, the curse didn't actually need to be solved in order for Joe to progress. They could have left that open-ended, find, found a different way for him to get through the portal. And then like, Oh, that been... was the agreement that she would help him with the portal if he figured out. Right, how to right. No, I, I, I understand that that is what is in the text, but I'm saying that I did not, I felt like the answer to the curse was really convenient and I would have liked it if they had just not, not solved the curse, left that a mystery as like, he doesn't need to come through the portal and solve everybody's problems in, you know, a couple hours and then port to the next one. You sure can... he does, he's the doctor. <laughs> That's what we do. He can come through, yeah, acknowledge what's going on, and be like, sorry. I got I'm my own 13, problems. I'm 13. I'm trying to go through, you know? like It's like... I do know how many weeks it's been since I've had my medicine. The, it's like this curse for decades, and it's like, oh, I just happened to have been there when it was actually told. Let me tell you the real answer. Okay, bye. You're all dumb. So when I when I finished that, I was like, really? Okay. Plus, it's realistic that during like that time of like... A fire's going on, I'm trying to escape, and uh, you're not going to remember the exact wording of a curse yeah. perfectly, because you're thinking, ah, fire! Yeah. So it, it was, like, realistic that it got remembered incorrectly. Yeah, I liked that part. I just, I wish he hadn't solved it so conveniently, and that the answer was so, like... He didn't solve it, Evangeline did. She was just like, oh, I'll just knit a doll for Dunsies. You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, okay. Like, offer, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, why did, why did a doll work? Yeah. Was the phrasing, offer something that looks like you? Offer you. You're like, right. this is me. No, that's a doll, yeah. bitch. Yeah. I think the curse is going to figure out Get the difference. Get this but... shit out of here. I want blood. <laughs> what are the three things a time can't kill? Uh, Dolls. Dolls. <laughs> I wish he'd said that. And then whoever, like, the bird's like, I'm going to peck your eyes out. <laughs> stupid asshole. <laughs> we chose a dumb one. <laughs> I'm like, Ugh. Well, the birds were already frustrated with him through the whole thing. He's like, do not say it. Because like, he was about to ask a dumb question. He's all like, don't, don't, right. don't. I was just like, I like the birds. They're the best characters. What if this was actually just a story about three birds and just going on bird adventures? Oh, we had to chicken on that dumbass kid first. <laughs> Hang on. 
And then we're reviewing the book. Why'd the dumbass kid always have to be here? I like the bird adventures. <laughs> hey, man, I like bird adventures. <laughs> Is there a bird series? Oh, go, go, Guardians of Galul, yeah. Galul. I can't say it. G. Cool. Glue. <laughs> <laughs> we're, say we're... cool. Cool. Say whip. Whip. Say cool. Cool, cool whip. whip. <laughs> <laughs> AKA one of two jokes that Seth MacFarlane has ever written that I laughed at. What's the other one? There's a message in my alphabets. It says, ooh. <laughs> Peter, those are Cheerios. <laughs> literally his two jokes. <laughs> There's one I really like. Do you like the one where he just like lays there uh, gripping his knee and then uh, uh, for like four minutes? Boy, that's uh, not a waste of time. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Chapter five. The man in the bath is understandably shocked. Uh, how is he supposed to know there was a party going on? <laughs> this is naked time for me. Get out. <laughs> uh, He's but... just yelling though at them in friggin' Norwegian. They're like, we don't know what you're saying, bro. <laughs> Viking! 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 Bergen. <laughs> he even says it sounds like the Swedish chef. Yeah. <laughs> the man in the bath is understandably shocked, but soon understands that Joe is a stranger with a capital S. So he knows something of the portals, at least. He is Captain Lars Thorstad, keeper of the Norwegian lighthouse, whose name and location I won't even attempt. Yeah, it's not important. I actually wrote that in there that I won't attempt it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he will be heading to America soon, as the lighthouse will become automated in not too long, and he won't have a job anymore. Hmm. Until then, the kids will help him around the lighthouse and then catch a ride with him to return Evangeline home, even though it's 1986. Uh, well, then when the dark moon happens, yeah. she just yeah. ends up back in her time. But what if she does that and there's already an Evangeline there? Are there going to be two Evangelines? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, the weeks pass and Joe is confused as to why he still doesn't need his medicine. The three become friends over many nights sharing stories and playing games, and Joe is reminded that he is breaking all his rules about not making friends, always having a way out, nowhere being safe, etc., etc. He knows that the Oracle is a bag of Nordic runes, but he cannot decipher them himself and is reluctant to ask for help. Eventually, he fills Evangeline in, and she is confused as to how a photo of her at this exact age exists in the guide. And this is my uh, my first prediction, which is uh, future Joe wrote the guide, which we'll see how that goes. One day, sea eagles arrive and give Joe a warning that the wild hunt, a.k.a. the grotesques, approach. Uh, Captain Thorstad takes the kids to a ship hidden in a surely magical crystal cave. Damfino and the Grim Grotesques, my new indie cabaret band, arrive. <laughs> <laughs> but with a little magic, our heroes are off. While at sea, Joe writes a message in a bottle to his parents, apologizing for not being good enough for them, uh, but acknowledging that he's finally happy. He also has plenty of time to study the guide and seduces that... Deduces. Yep. That's absolutely <laughs> what that word should have been. Like I said, autocorrect has really been failing me. Autocorrect's a slut. <laughs> <laughs> then he seduces. <laughs> like, gross, autocorrect. <laughs> Uh, and deduces that there must be five stone pendants for the five elements. He has shadow, Damfino has air, uh, so the other ones would be fire, earth, and water. Weeks later, they make their first stop, Ireland, where Joe will find the next portal. Uh, the captain gives him some gold coins and they part ways. Joe makes his way to another abandoned building in Ireland, this one once the home of Mrs. McGarrity. 
Yeah, he uh, did it, I think. <laughs> supposed witch. Uh, with several days until the next new moon, he has some waiting to do. So, like, birds are important. <laughs> <laughs> I have a thing to say. None of them's got a friggin' passport. How are they cruising around all these other countries? And at Port of Entry, they're not, like, having to show... Because this guy's traveling with children that aren't his. Right. And there's no... That's bad. And this was... This is the 80s. This 80s, isn't, like, yeah. 1880s where you can... Right. That, maybe that could slide. No. <laughs> and also, at the time, he's, like, just cruising around Ireland by himself, and it's all okay. This is during the Troubles. There'd be so much danger for him. Tell me more. I don't know about the Troubles. The Troubles was like the internal strife in Ireland that that was going on at that time. And I can't even get into that because Irish history and all the crap they've been through is just so... That's like a whole episode in itself for us to just cover. And I can barely just scratch the surface right now. But there was like shooting in the streets between um, the Irish Republican Army and... um, I think people who just wanted to, like, be in, like, the UK, like, there's, ugh, it's just not a good time for a kid to be cruising around by himself. Like, he could have gotten picked up by anybody at that time, and it would have been bad. Especially since he's English. Holy shit, what a bad time to be English. Like, don't, don't go over there. Oh my god. Before this room, did Joe ever really get told that, like, you could go from room to room by just, like, going to one and then, like... I don't think so. I think they said he had to have the oracle. So I was like, how's that going to work? Yeah, like I was expecting work? him to panic and be like, there's no way. But then all of a sudden he's like, and then four weeks had passed. And I'm like, y- I guess you're just fine. Yeah, you it can't... took a while for him to comment on it. It was just like, shouldn't he have a little bit more urgency in trying to find the stuff and figure out the Yeah, door? like all, like every, everything. These guys are on his heels. Everything has been time. happening a matter of hours. And then all of a sudden weeks pass. They are in the middle of the ocean. Right. So, so maybe he thought like, I've got some time. He's like, because boats aren't a thing in 1980 or whatever this is. Yeah. But, like, he ba- there's barely any mention of him even trying with the Oracle. He just no. picks up and he's like, uh. uh yeah. <laughs> uh, Evangeline, like, like she's gonna fucking know. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, hey, can I get a ride? <laughs> yeah. uh, this is hard. Let's just go in a boat. <laughs> yeah. Let's just go on a boat for a month. <laughs> I know. And, uh, like, uh, like, not even, like, was there even, like, a boater? Wasn't it just, like... Like a, did, like a ha, boat boat? Yeah, ha, did they have supplies for a month? Did it mention that? No, they, they didn't. They had a couple weeks. They had to stop a few places to get some stuff. <laughs> and they don't have their passports. How are they doing this? <laughs> I was like, this is... This, this. <laughs> it's just... Uh, yeah, maybe, I, did, I didn't like that. That was when I was like, when I was got... I got really frustrated, as you could tell. So like that was the part where I was just like, whoa, you're changing all the rules on me. Like, maybe um, <laughs> he had them hide in the boat and stop places because he had his he had the passport and right. he just wasn't going to let on that he has children with him. Right. And this was before places were terribly paranoid like now, so maybe that even flew. Right. But just them, like, just cruising around ports like, oh yeah, this is totally fine. So what you're telling me is that the end of this chapter, when a British kid just goes and hangs out on the streets for four days waiting for the new moon in Ireland, that's not a realistic and safe thing for him to be doing? No. <laughs> uh-uh. He needs to, like, put on, like, a really fake bad Irish accent and just be like, like, I just came in from Kilkarney. <laughs> hey, boyo. What? Top of the morning to you. <laughs> no one fucking says that. <laughs> I've been looking for my shillelagh. 
They're magically delicious. <laughs> Before I went on my trip, I kissed the Blarney Stone for luck. <laughs> and everyone Irish watching this click. <laughs> she couldn't explain the troubles. She's an idiot. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't learn about the troubles until I was an adult. Oh, right. My notes stopped. <laughs> we still have room for another book. Uh, okay. Chapter six. Oh, in Ireland. Yep, uh, except now it's 1933. Uh, Joe is quickly introduced to uh, Mrs. McGarity, who goes by Granny M, the batty old cat lady, who is also the local witch. She seems to mistake Joe for an old lover and takes Joe inside where the cats, all called Timolin, quickly reveal themselves to be grotesques. Joe hides with Granny M, who turns out to be a grotesque as well. She vomits some sort of black goo into Joe, who flees but falls unconscious shortly after. I actually have a note about the vomit. I don't want to talk about the vomit. <laughs> it's just like this, uh, this like tough kind of silence from you. He awakes at an inn run by a uh, Bowan? Bowen? Here's the thing is I can't tell if that's actually the name or if my phone autocorrected to something else at this point. I don't know how to say Bowan. Okay. It's uh, a weird name. But she's an ally of Taliston. Uh, she knows something about the issue at hand and explains that the grotesques, who have a master even above Damfino, seek to use the last magic places for evil, while those like Boan try to prevent their use at all. She also explains that the venom now in Joe will manifest as a fear of one of the five elements, warping his mind and killing him as early as tomorrow. His only hope is to visit the magic spring under the nearby <coughs> chapel, then get Granny M's teacup oracle. To that end, Boan's adopted daughter, Jaina, and a band of allies will assist. At midnight, Jaina leads Joe down to the well while the rest storm Granny M's house. The water needs equivalent exchange to activate. Give a life to save a life. Thankfully, Damfino followed them and will make an excellent sacrifice. Uh, he is in his final form and is sort of evil sadder. Jaina takes Damfino's pendant and activates it with the same chant Reverend Gray used. This gives Joe the opening to finally strike down Damfino. Joe drinks from the spring and is cured. And when he and Jaina go topside, it seems Granny M is cured as well. The group destroys the grotesques with magic, then departs, uh, leaving Joe with Granny M. She reads his tea leaves, gives him a cryptic fortune, then opens the portal for him. So if we haven't explicitly stated it, the idea is that each room or each building is on a land that has some sort of magical property. And so uh, each time he's traveling to these, he's visiting one of the last magical places left on Earth that they're trying to prevent the grotesques from using up, basically. Because I don't think we've explicitly stated that that's what's going on here. Oh, yeah. So the vomit. Ugh. Did I tell you about when I read Mosquito Land recently? Did yeah, I... that you said it was, like, overly whimsical and... It, it oh, was quirky to, quirky to a fault. But in Mosquito Land, uh, the main character goes into a bathroom and a guy follows her in and starts to, like, sexually assault her. Ugh. So she pukes in his mouth. <gasps> and I'm like... That stops it, I guess. You're right. I'm like, good on ya. <laughs> if you're able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's mentioned that she has a really, like, weak stomach and is prone to puking randomly anyways. And okay. so she's just like, she's like, all right, now or never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Finally, this dubious skill I have comes <laughs> right. in handy. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like, yeah, when she pukes, and it just reminded me of, uh, Drag Me to Hell. There's a lot of, like, gross imagery like that happening in it, and I hated that movie for that reason. Let's just talk about 
the grim grotesques that and finally Damfino's gone. Ding dong for Satter's death. <laughs> um, I was like, oh good, so that could stop. Yeah. <laughs> I w- so he gets like poisoned and he's supposed to have like a fear of something, but then it's like fixed in like just a few pages and like so we don't drinks, get to see the full effect. He drinks the water. Yeah, but we don't get to see the full effect of that curse. I would have liked it to have been like a curse that isn't like a kill you tomorrow it like lingers for like the next few chapters and so we get to see the ramifications of it as he tries to progress while this fear is building in him i'm good that they didn't do that because there's already way too much happening right here so if there were fewer things happening then i'd be like no i'm with you that really should have played out more right but i guess that's the thing is like at that point then just don't bring it in at all because a lot of the other magic things we didn't see any like we didn't actually see the magic in use for most of them, so it's like... Well, for this, it's all like, this is what the grotesques can do. Kind of, just, They're not just all like, baddies yeah. waving weapons like, meh! Yeah. It's all like, we'll puke on you and it'll be bad! But then they don't do it again, do they? Well, no, because they kill all of them. Yeah, so like, they could have just been baddies going, meh, and it wouldn't have really changed anything. Well, it made this more higher stakes. Plus there was the whole, like, for a bit it seemed like he wasn't going to get healed because they're like no we just we just guard this magic stuff we don't use it he's like okay but i'm gonna die they go yeah but magic and he's like but i'm dying yeah yeah but the (laughs) the argument didn't really like he did it was just like you just repeat your sides a couple of times then one of them gives it it was like like, well i mean he is dying and our buddy's gonna be die too so i (laughs) guess right it's like the magic it's like i'm dying so i'm dying yeah you said it louder it probably means it okay (laughs) legit They were totally saying. I liked. Uh, he referred to a uh, second world war, the oh, the first world war, and he's like, they're like, what do you mean first? Right. They're like, oh. Right. <laughs> For, it's just sorry. the great war. There can't be another. <laughs> like, there, there can't be anything as bad as that. And it's like, <laughs> uh, okay, no spoilers or anything, but <laughs> don't go to Germany like ever. <laughs> and uh, if you know anybody who wears like a little mustache, they should just shave it right now. <laughs> Just get ahead of the game. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to wreck it for everybody. You got uh, six years. <laughs> Charlie Chaplin's going to be like, God damn it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's my look. <laughs> but I like if you have the little, if, if you do the little mustache and then you draw a bowler hat over it, all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's Chaplin. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, don't take your hat off ever. <laughs> and if you're walking like a penguin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of goose stepping. Anyway. Penguin stepping, not goose stepping. Yeah. 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 Choose your birds wisely <laughs> uh also good birds eagle snowy owl uh raven and sea eagle raven chapter seven the next location is a canadian lodge named whisk Wh- jack named for the folk hero whiskey jack circa 1948 uh the guide has little to offer at this point which can't be good so yeah <laughs> no in, in each room, like, he's noticing there's, like, progressively less information about them, and then by the time he gets to the last few, all it is is, like, the t- time and place of the location, and, like, a hint of what the oracle is. There's no other descriptions, he's like... Well, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. The only inhabitant of the cabin is a trapper named Megqueer. I said McGuire. McGuire? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess that sounds better. Mm-hmm. Dude, you're Megqueer. Thanks. <laughs> you bet I am. <laughs> bet your ass. <laughs> Proud of it. <laughs> uh, Maguire, who takes Joe to the nearby Cree village. There, Joe meets Maguire's wife, uh, Kaliska, as well as village chieftain, Ataka Cop. That sounds like some NWA sort of thing. Attack a cop. <laughs> F the police. 
Coming straight out of Canada, eh? <laughs> is this in Ottawa? Where is this? Specifically in Can- Can- Canada? Okay, I guess it doesn't matter. Joe has come at a bad time. Canadian lawmakers have just presented the village with rights to own the land, which will force the Cree out. A group of Canadians arrive in a very familiar but very new school bus, and McGuire goes to speak with the man and woman in the lead. The couple turns out to be Joe's parents? What? Prediction number two. I bet they're the leaders of the grotesques. Joe goes to them, but the situation has risen to a tense standoff, only broken when an arrow fatally pierces Joe's mother. Joe saves her with the last of the spring water, and the family leaves via motorboat. Questions arrive, and Joe's parents are totally the bad guys, Uh, but Joe has reverted to his younger deferential self and agrees to work with them, not seeing the truth. Joe is dropped off at his parents' camp, where Kaliska is imprisoned, and his parents go back to the lodge, leaving him under the supervision of, wouldn't you know it, a grim grotesque. Joe sneaks into the lodge where he overhears McGuire reveal himself to be the shaman Anguacock. I don't know. I can't correct your pronunciation because I don't know either. Uh, The shaman is struck down and he throws a flask and a staff to Joe. He tells Joe that his mother is queen of the grotesques, so presumably Joe's father is their king. Joe throws the flask at his mother and from it emerges the great bear spirit, which summons more bears and turns the shaman into a bear as well. Joe and his dad flee into the school bus, where Joe's dad uses a crystal like the one from Thorstad's cave to activate the bus. He leaves Joe on it, and the bus takes Joe far, far away. Please let this be a normal field trip! (laughs) (laughs) No, Arnold. We're going to be entering bear country. (laughs) Oh, gosh, this chapter. So it's good, I guess, that... We have some, like, First Nations people here. Yeah, like, I... Uh, but, again, we have, like, the white person there to kind of, like, let's not make it, like, too awkward. Like, I'm also kind of English, so I'll be able to, like, help you out here so you don't have to directly talk to anybody. Like, I'm the between... Right. You know, so you have, like, the white guide. Right. To... And it's always... It's challenging for me when I read because... I know more than nothing about First Nations peoples, but I don't know a whole lot. So I can never tell when I'm like, is is this an assumed stereotype or is this one of the situations where this specific thing is actually reflective of the specific group that they're talking about? My tendency is if I don't see any like research materials presented or something, that it's just assumptions, but I never know for sure. I feel like this could have benefited from having a sensitivity reader that's mm-hmm. kind of like a newer concept you know what that is right like when someone maybe of the the group that you're reading about or you're writing about like reads it and tells you like oh you know like if they had somebody read it and they're like D- please don't tell say the the black person's skin's like chocolate please okay. don't do that you know who like stops you um, that makes sense so like you you write about people that are different from you and so you hand it you're like, people. I'm still writing with a white bias, so can you please look at this and make sure I'm not Right. It's like, I'm, I'm doing out. my best with what I know. Now sh- Now read please, it, tell me what tell you me. know, and help me get closer to you. Yes. That makes sense. So I think this would have benefited from having a sensitivity reader who could have caught like everything that uh, I was in a, like, I, I again, I'm bringing up It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but that meme of, I don't know enough about blank, or like, that doesn't sound right, but I don't know, know enough right. about blank <laughs> to refute it. Is like how I felt during this. That's, I'm, that's exactly how I feel. Because in particular, 
like we learned about like um, Native Americans like in the in the states, we, but it's a, yeah. it's quite a different situation. Well, it's similar, but it's quite it's different enough for like First Nations people, right? In Canada, right? And like I've and like, they're still having huge problems today. Yeah. Plus, it's also like um, uh, there's this video game that I played called Never Alone, and it was made in conjunction with uh, this one specific tribe out in Alaska. I think like they brought in. Like, if you read the credits, like, 80% of it are people directly from that tribe. Okay. Um, and you can unlock, like, the equivalent of, like, 90 minutes worth of interviews with those people. And so from that, I learned a lot about that specific tribe in that specific location. But there are just, there's so many, like, I don't necessarily know anything specific about Cree, so I don't know how much of that is, you know, mm. because it's so much more diverse than they always, they make it sound in the textbook. Right. Oh, yeah. They're just all like, yeah, they uh, they were farmers who, like, made corn, and that's it. And you're like, well, I'm sure there was, like, more to Right. It's this. like, really? All of them? Everywhere? Well, <laughs> plus they was saying, like, teepee for stuff, and I was just like, is that a word that everybody used? Do they have a different word for that? Just say tent. Like, if, you know, don't just say teepee. So that was one of the things where I was like, I don't know if that's right. Yeah. Where... I guess, well, something like that, I think, if it's... Unless if Cree or part... Uh, what part, that's why I'm like, what part of Canada is this? Right. Because if, uh, if that's part of Canada around the plains, then that might make right. sense because teepees are, I think, are particularly to plains Indians. Yeah. Is that, is that right? My understanding, yeah, because the because it's it's for, typically for like a nomadic lifestyle where you're right. following herds and things like that. So you don't, obviously you don't build longhouses if you need yeah. to be like. Well, shit, how are we going to back this up? <laughs> right. Oh my God. I didn't think this through. <laughs> you must. <laughs> And it's done. All right, tear it down, boys. <laughs> where we live, where where me and Josh live, they did build longhouses. Yeah, they were fishermen. Yeah. So like, that's what we know about the tribes. Yeah. Around here. Yeah, and uh, oh, going back to the term TP and things like that. Some of that you can you can use like when you have a like a thirteen year old kid from England, right. you can be like, okay, that's his best guess. And yeah. so if you're looking at through his eyes, you can. You can See, do that. That's what I was wondering. I was like, how much of this is Joe and how much of this is right. like author cluelessness? Right. And can we try and find a way to differentiate the two? Right. So I'm not assuming anything right. weird. You know? Yeah. And that happens when I, like, when they have their, the names and it's like, this is, this is Standing Rock and Little Leaf and stuff like that. And I'm like, I, I don't know if that's like actually, or if they're just like, that sounds native, you know? Yeah. I don't know enough about it to say for sure. So I'm just like, well, I hope that that worked out for you. Yeah. That's just kind of my feeling most of the time I read, unless I'm reading from somebody where it's like, okay, they're either from that tribe themselves or they have like, here's an explanation of my research. Like so the like, beginning, thank you for the such and such yeah, people's uh, yeah. this Yeah, and so it's like, okay, cool, it got vetted somewhere along the way. <laughs> right, so for them to like check it and be like, no, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, don't do this ever. That's like, um, I'm sh- I feel like I've brought it up, the film Dead Man. Oh, the Johnny Depp film that's actually known as being one of the most accurate representations of native americans in film um they went so far as to they don't do subtitles or translations for most of the uh when native americans are speaking in their language they brought them on and they're like okay here's what i here's what the script is but i want you to say it in your language and we're just going to leave it because that's just your language we don't need to translate it and um everything was very specific to the the tribe that they were talking about and stuff so you know say what you want about if you like the film or not, if you like Johnny Depp or not, their representation is known as being one of the most well-researched and accurate, and I think that's really cool. So I just wanted to plug that because 
I like seeing them done right. Also, the first five minutes with like Crispin Glover on the train is amazing, and you should watch it at least for that part. <laughs> you remember that part? Yeah. I love that part. They're shooting buffalo. It's just so <laughs> yeah. bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's mostly what I wanted to cover with that. Uh, oh, also, yeah, Mom's the Evil Queen. Uh-oh. Right. But though I did, I had my own prediction, too, that I don't think this is really his mother. Well, I didn't have a third prediction, so that can be our three. There we go. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't think this is really Joe's mom. Um, Ma'am. That came out weird. Ma'am. Ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, it looks really like, stop it. Yeah, so. Okay. <sighs> chapter eight. We're getting there. Yeah, but chapter eight is. Oh, no. It's the next oh, no, isn't it? And we're in the future. Why not? Okay. More specifically, it's Japan 2282. At a sort of temple for the labyrinth and all the magical places lost to time. A woman named Jin Lin knows Joe by name and takes him aside to the last magical place on Earth. There's a lot of weird stuff going on here, but what Joe experiences is a series of steps that include a cleansing of the body via the four elements, followed by a cleansing of the mind that gives him horrifying visions. Joe tells Jin Lin of his medicine, which Jin Lin says must have been something to keep him hidden from the grotesques, and he was never actually sick. Ah, just confirmed that the medicine was BS. <laughs> The next stage of Joe's process here is to meet with the Black King of the Mage, Nero Melly? I just uh, thought, sure, I definitely <laughs> the name. <laughs> uh, they meet in a space station sort of thing, uh, wherein lies a portion of the crystal cave that Evangeline uh, plucked all those years ago. It is supposedly the last shard of magic. Nero Melly explains that the mage built the labyrinth to protect the magical places, and there are three ways to use the labyrinth doors, the new moon, the oracles, and the five stone talismans, of which Joe, again, has the dark one. Space grotesques approach, and Joe faints as the cessation launches itself out. He awakes to a man who identifies himself as a witch of the tree of life, part of an order that has been around far longer than the mage or the ghoul. He explains that the tree once connected everything, but has been broken and scattered by man's quest for power and all that jazz. The tree is what we call time. Because people saw it change by taking power from the tree instead of changing themselves to use their own power, the magic is now very weak. He explains to Joe that this is the key. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. He awakes again, and near Melly and Jin Lin prepare to send him off. Before he goes, Joe asks what is at the center of the labyrinth. You are, Jin Lin replies, and Joe is suddenly back in the Hall of Mirrors. Also, Taro, the snowy owl, was in the future, but I forgot to plug that in. Yeah. So this is... Just so much. Just the 15 steps and the... And the, the the tree is the time, is the self, is the swamp, is the yeah. poet, is, is the... the... Poet, right? yeah. <laughs> this is, a, like, as I was reading it, I could, it, like, I could imagine this, like, foundation of this story kind of, like, creaking as he kept adding more <laughs> things. And this part just... Yeah. Just a clean break at this point. I was just like, I don't know. That was too big, too much. Yeah, my brain shut down in self-defense. Right. <laughs> and it kept screaming, it's Japan with no Japanese people! Ah! And that was kind of it for me. Oh, and she also has his message in a bottle. Yeah. Message in, in a bottle. I'll send an SOS to the future. I'll send. <laughs> I hope that someone gets my 
I hope that Jin Lin gets my message in a bottle. Thank you, Sting, for doing the soundtrack to this podcast. Music provided by Sting. Sting. <laughs> if you'd like to knowledge. visit him, please visit the police wherever they're playing. <laughs> Every little thing they do is magic. Okay. Um, yeah, that's kind of that's my, my whole interpretation. Yeah, you you said it all. Yeah, we could probably move on to the next. Yeah, chapter. like to be honest, like there there's so much here that my brain just couldn't take it in and reapply it my to the book I just wait. read. I'm trying to get my head That's straight. straight. But I can't, can't figure, figure out, out which thing they want me to <laughs> read about. Soundtrack <laughs> 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 also by Eminem. <laughs> so, yeah, if you took out this chapter and like didn't go. Th- cosmically large with it i think it could have come back around i think i think this just broke it too big all right hall of mirrors chapter two reprise <laughs> we're back <laughs> uh griswold is here again and he chews joe out for the boy's black and white thinking about his whole situation joe has completed one circuit of the labyrinth and this place will take him into the next circuit uh, Griswold helps Joe understand that these moments in the labyrinth exist outside of time as humans understand it. He also refers to Joe as 17, but that can't be right, can it? Suddenly, Gunner bursts in, furious at Joe for leaving him behind. Joe tries to talk him down, but now knows which side Gunner is on. The rapey side, so we don't like him. Uh, well, I mean, we didn't like him to begin with. Right, but I mean, he's like... like he's, now he we... isn't just a mean thug, he's like... A really disgusting yeah. mean thug. Yeah, before it was like, you took my Wolverine action figure. By the way, he had a Wolverine action figure, and that was like a thing for a couple chapters that he was like, I want to be Wolverine. And then later it turns again, I am like Wolverine. <laughs> and then at the very end of this, it was like copyright 2019 Marvel, and we're like, whoa. What? <laughs> this is Wolverine's origin story? <laughs> uh, Joe offers air to Kronos again, but that doesn't work because he went that way already. Instead, he offers water. Well, spit. Uh, Romano appears and there's like a fight and Gunner. Does he give up his shadow? He, he probably does. You're right because I think he already has it gone by the time he comes around the third time. So uh, Gunner dies. That happens. No one cares. Then Joe cuts the telephone line, knowing that uh, Romano calling the police was what got him killed. Yeah, uh, that was the thing I was gonna remark on. Yeah, I'm like no, you're not dying this time around. Yeah. Uh, then steps into the next room. I just remember something about the previous chapter, but I'm not sure if it's worth talking about. Um, I just want to mention really quick that um, the whole time that the, what's-his-name was explaining the, the tree and the time and stuff, Joe was really sassy with him. But, like, Joe's never sassy at any other point in the book, so I'm like, where did this come from? You are in a space station in the future, and this guy is explaining, like, the connection of magic and time to you, and you're just, like, back-talking him the whole time? And I'm like, okay, weird place to add a personality. <laughs> after a very personality-less story. Joe's really just kind of there. I think the stuff with his parents has just kind of knocked him for a loop. Yeah. So now he's just like, I'm over it. I just want to finish this. Right? Tell me the info I need to know. Quit telling me time is a... <laughs> he's, he's the reader who, like, turns the next page and sees his chapter two again and sees how many pages he has left, and he's like, okay, I'm over this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, chapter nine. The Place. Raven's Bray Manor, Scotland. The year 1911. The Oracle. Planchette. Like the marker on a Ouija board. Joe realizes he's in a child's bedroom, then realizes the bedroom is sealed by a brick wall. This is the room of a deceased child. Oh, it's a brick. Burn out now. Wall. Bow, bow, bow. 
Mate, mate, <laughs> keeping the old ghosts out. <laughs> oh, that kid is dead. That's a fact. No, he ain't coming back. Joe finds a crawl space under the cupboards and eventually emerges into the main house. He sneaks outside and finds a fair, specifically Pandora's traveling fair. Pandora. The same one he left Serene at. Pandora quickly finds him and says they will reunite with Serene shortly. Pandora knows much about the labyrinth and the world's magic, explaining that magic now only exists in the northern hemisphere with Italy at its center. Below Ravensbray is an undying flame which many have sought. They reach a pavilion where an impossibly young Serene is performing, and the magic of the fair is explained. Uh, they travel to different magic places and feed off its energy for their performances, uh, and doing so slows their aging down to almost nothing. Serene and Joe talk in private, where Joe informs Serene of Gunner's death. Serene admits that she has fallen in love with someone outside the fair and plans to leave the fair so that she can start a family and age normally. Joe realizes she will one day become Granny M. Yeah, so she doesn't actually get to have that family. That guy bites it in the First uh, first World War. Joe asks Serene to help him open the portal, which will allow her and her lover to escape the fair and go anywhere or any when they wish. They return to the child's room and find a Ouija board and planchette, which they use to speak with the dead boy. Shafen I thought I was, pronounced, I was pronouncing Shafen? it Shafen. Shafen. Okay, yeah. It sounds better than every other possibility. Shafen. Shafen. Shafen McPherson. <laughs> uh, or Jack, as he prefers. Sensible. I like Jack. <laughs> uh, through a vision, Jack reveals the portal is in a painting of Peter Pan. Peter Pan painting. Portal. Peter Pan painting portal. It's pretty good. <laughs> Joe goes to it, but Pandora has appeared and has no intentions of letting them leave. Refusing to let Pandora control her, Serene takes his cloak, then leaps out the window and flies away. Yeah, I was like, she can do that? <laughs> yeah, but and he can't go because, like, he has a riddle he has to answer. What is the rhyme of reason? Nothing. Well, I was like, season, next! I was saying nothing! And then that <laughs> turns out that was the answer. <laughs> so if Mara had been there, I'd have gone, I got, I'd got yeah. to leave right away. Josh had been there. I guess he would have, like, written a song or something, probably. <laughs> I don't know, maybe we would have panicked and just start, kept screaming, Frace us! <laughs> Isn't there another complicated vision? I'm just ignoring the visions. But then when he gets to New York, casually strolls into New York. Yeah, that's gonna, yeah. Okay, so, did you this think- This is where it gets confusing. More so. Did you think it was weird that he was just like, oh yeah, there's no magic in the Southern Hemisphere? I Yeah, I was uncomfortable with that. He does say that those places die, like the magic places. Like, uh, like we found out later, they're originally like way more. Right. But I mean, they're still like- if we assume that the magic has just always existed and the magic dies as a result of humans utilizing it, wouldn't you say that overall more has been done to, like, overuse magic and resources and stuff in the Northern Hemisphere than the Southern? Wouldn't it then make sense that there would be more in the Southern? Because, like, well, there's I mean, a lot of places where, like, population density is less and things like that. I was kind of thinking of, like, how, like, life really started in Africa so you think, you think be, the magic would be like strongest? Would've, no, would drain there the first because oh, that was yeah. dead people there first. That's where it all began in Middle East and everything. So that's like the the uh, where civilization began, I guess. What they tell us in school. So it makes sense that that would get used up really fast compared to everything. So compared to everything else, I feel like there would have been like there should have been more southern hemisphere on like islands and stuff. 
that yeah. aren't as visited as much. Like the Polynesian Polynesians. Polynesians, there you go. Yeah. Well, and then also, like, obviously there are people that live near the magic places that don't sap the magic because they're not actively using it. Yeah. So it could have been that there were, like, there could be magic places right next to people, and as long as they're not, like, being aggressive about it, that it, it still could have lasted. But, like... Australia's friggin' huge, and until a couple hundred years ago, it would have just been the... the, the uh, Aboriginals. Yeah. I just thought it was odd that the place... The areas that would have had, like, the most... What if there was one, like, in Antarctica? Right. But I'm just thinking of, like, all the biggest, like, conflicts and the biggest, like... Those would have all been Northern Hemisphere, so it seems like that would have sapped the magic quickest. Yeah, I don't know. So, I don't know, I just thought that was a weird... So I was like, so, so we're so we're skipping like South America entirely then. Yeah. Okay. Like how would how the heck would magic survive for longer in New York than like the middle yeah. of like Chile or something? Right. <laughs> or uh, in the Andes. Yeah. Was, you know, I, I had to I had to remember what that was called, and I had to like go through the Shakira song. Maybe I'd climb the Andes solely. <laughs> get the bagels on your body. Thanks, Shakira. Yeah. Shakira, Shakira. <laughs> oh, babe, I wonder to talk back then. <laughs> they, they were playing that at Red Robin the other day. No. <laughs> See, it's perfecto. Okay, that's enough. Are we back at this room two yet? No. Chapter 10. Joe travels with Pandoro's fare to Spain, where he knows the next gate will be. They arrive at a citadel called the Alhambra, and Joe locates the room in question a bedroom known as the moon's nest. He falls asleep under the full moon and awakes to find the room filled with artifacts and a travel writer named Leah Josefina watching him. Somehow the gate activated and he is in 1977 when Alhambra is called the Court of Myrtles. Except Joe can't touch anything. Uh, Leah explains that she inherited uh, the ability to see through time by touching objects from her grandmother. And when she touched Serene's necklace, uh, which is now housed in the room as an artifact, there are just tons of artifacts everywhere. Um, So she went in and touched the necklace, and when she did, it opened a connection to Joe's time. And so that's how he's able to kind of appear there in spirit. Joe determines that Leah's crystal ball, which gives her this clairvoyancy, is the oracle, but it doesn't exist in his time, so he can't use it. Tara the owl arrives, but can't help Joe. Uh, Then Joe awakes for realsies back in 1911, uh, there are some new arrivals at Alhambra today, including Thanhauser, owner of a New York film studio. That night when Joe dreams, he touches a statue of Anubis and is projected into an Egyptian tomb in 1928 where a handful of men, including an occultist named Kane, uh, recognizes Joe uh, from Ravensbray uh, because Joe had like banged on the brick wall in the ghost child room. And so they were like, oh, the ghost is back. And so Kane is like, hey, it was you. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Ghost is back. Kane asks for Joe's help getting out of the tomb. Uh, Kane is looking for the doors and seems to have found the site of one of the collapsed ones, but he is now unable to get out. Um, he tells Joe to find him in his time uh, at his office in New York. When Joe awakes, Pandora announces that instead of continuing through Europe, they will be heading to America with the New York film executive. How convenient. How convenient. So now we've introduced clairvoyancy and yeah yeah spectral time travel sure. um why not yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just so much it's just, i know like once you get once I... you get to the last few chapters you should be starting to tie up 
the plot threads know, and not adding like, more. I know, it just felt like this whole, like, I felt like I was drowning. Yeah, I kept I kept being like, okay, we got five chapters left, we can tie it all up. We got four chapters left, we can tie it. And then I got to the last one, I was like, we're not tying it up, are we? No. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Yeah, I was, I was like, I'm so glad I stopped taking notes, because I was like, what do I write down? Everything? I can't write down everything. Yeah, every time, like, I would, like, finish, like, a group of pages, I'd be like, well, I guess I have to write all of that, because every sentence something new happened. Yeah. I don't really have anything to comment on this part. Chapter 11. I have something to say about this. Cut to nine weeks later. Yeah. Literally, it just says... Nine weeks later, he found himself outside Kane's office. I'm like, what? No. Why do we just get to skip everything? Like, maybe, okay. Why can't we have an in-between between nothing and everything? And he's just like, oh yeah, and I got through the portal. Yeah. Why, why wasn't... Every single other time, getting through the portal how is did, a big how did, ordeal. How was he able to get through this portal when he's already, when he's tied to this dumbass who runs the whole fucking fair thing? He shouldn't have been able to do that. Right. By the rules. Right. Because he's trying to go through, like, the... Like, does the moon thing not work? Like, is it something else? How, how was he able to do that? Right. I mean, in the book, it says he gets to New York with the group, and then he sneaks right. away. Sneaks away. In waits time. for that moon thing yeah. to happen, and, and then, then he's goes able to... through. But how is he able to travel through, the like, the moon thing happening? Because he should have been, like, hitting a wall, because he's separating from, uh, from, uh, what's his ass? Pandoro. Pandoro. Yeah. Because Pandora's been, like, holding him back. Right. Because he's still, he's still in another time, another place. <sighs> like, I just, I found that inconsistent. Yeah. And frustrating. Yeah. And I was really confused for a bit. And I was like, did I miss something? And I was like, I'm not going back and looking. <laughs> so, I just, yeah, where did I miss it? <laughs> I was just like, forget it. <laughs> I just kept going forward feeling confused. Yeah. So, cut to nine weeks later. Joe arrives at Kane's office in 1929. Kane is renting an office from the Trevilian family, whose previous patriarch left the entire fortune to a boy who trespassed on his land the day he died. Curious. Trevilian seem to know how to travel the gates because many items in the study are from other times, including the future. Kane knows someone who might be able to help uh, open the next door, so they set off to find him. Kane warns Joe that he may have accidentally unleashed a monster that is trying to track him down. They head to a speakeasy called The Landmark, where a magician named Claude may be able to help solve the puzzle of the Oracle, of the Oracle, which is a tarot deck. How is a kid in a bar? Well, it's a speakeasy. It was like, they're like, it's all illegal. Yeah, anyway. they're like, we're already so, getting caught. <laughs> so we may as well just go ahead and like, just let the 13-year-old kid in. They head to a speakeasy called The Landmark, where a magician named Claude may be able to help solve the puzzle of the Oracle, which is a tarot deck. They are harassed by some... Mobsters, but it all attracted to monsters, so whatever. Uh, some mobsters, including one Barney Bambino. Kane activates the artifact that summoned the monster and throws it at Bambino. The beast appears, giving Kane, Claude, and Joe an opening to escape. They take off in a car. A hearse. Yeah, sorry. Specifically a hearse. They take off in a hearse, but are soon pursued by the monster and the mobsters. So that time it remembered the difference. Uh, Joe yeah. tries to solve the puzzle of the cards, which seem to reference artifacts he has collected in his travels. The sword... Uh, the chalice from when he gives to the mirror or so on. Mm -hmm. uh, the monster catches them and they crash the car into a lake. Uh, they continue on foot. Joe uses Dis Disney princess magic to summon animals to attack the beast. And the gang heads into the mansion where Kane's office is housed. Pandora is waiting for them. And even though Joe solves the puzzle, he seems restrained from leaving. He cries out that there is no rhyme or reason to any of this and realizes he solved the riddle. 
Pandora's magic no longer traps Joe, and Joe steps through the portal back into the Hall of Mirrors. Of course, there's, like, an amulet that can just summon a, like, 30-foot spider creature. Why not? We've added everything else already. Yeah, and then they're fighting fighting the, the, the drive, trying to drive away from the monster while they're all talking like this, because it's 1930. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, we're going to beat feet to get away from this monster here. <laughs> Everything's slightly sped up because recording practices weren't exactly a one-to-one ratio. <laughs> Like fun, he'll help you, kid. <laughs> <laughs> and his name is A. Arcane. Arcane. <laughs> ah! Uh, I was like, I did get a kick out of there it. Is I'm, a, being, uh, I'm being a bitch for like no reason. There is a, uh, uh, he has a business card in one of the other portals a couple of decades later. So he's like, well, guess I'll be in business for a while. Yeah. Oh yeah. He finds it uh, when he's at, uh, with Evangeline and them. And Don't... I love that they're yelling like their fucking weird 1930s slang at him. At, at him like, pop the top. And he's like, what the hell? And he's like, open the roof. And, like, right. and I was like, I didn't know what you meant. <laughs> I'm from this country and I've watched films from the 30s. So, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> the English kid born in 2002 doesn't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> That's all I got. I wish there wasn't a monster. That was just unnecessary. I was just, I was just like, oh, this would be cool in a movie. Because just pick, you know, like, Oh, there's monsters after us. Mobsters and monsters. Yeah. But then that would have been a totally different movie. I'd see the mobster monster movie. Right, but I'm saying I would have seen that movie. I would not see this scene as part of a bigger movie where all these other things about were also seen. That, about the you're inside the labyrinth. Right. Well, because I would be, I'd be like, I would pause the movie and I'd be like, how much longer is this? We only have 20 minutes to go. Why'd you introduce mobsters and a monster? And the, I want, where's my denouement? My denouement. Hello, denouement. <laughs> it's that kid in school that you always like. <laughs> it was a and then and then he's like, "It's denouement." And it's like, "Shut up!" Just because your dad's rich doesn't mean that you're French. <laughs> it, was, it was actually a Seinfeld reference. Oh, that character comes in and goes, "Hello, Newman." Okay, are we ready to... Go to chapter two again? I, I just... Every time we went back to chapter two, I thought of, like, the how Groundhog Day began every time. Like, okay, here comes I Got You Babe on the radio. I'm <laughs> <laughs> waking you up in the morning. Uh, chapter two. Coda. Griswold is here, uh, but none of the others that Joe expects to see are. Uh, instead, he is approached by... Uh, Zacharias Adriano Balthazard, Argent Wizard of the Mage and Guardian of the Labyrinth. Ah! Damn it! <laughs> you know what? We need a new character right now. I don't know why we're all going to be talking like this from now on. <laughs> Taro is there too again. Uh, Balthazar rever- refers to Joe as 21 now, which is going to be real awkward for the kid when he gets home. Uh, Balthazar has more hokey things to say about time and tells Joe the, the grotesques have five gateways. Reflection, shadows, sleep, fear, and time. To go along with the five elements and the... He needs to remember five things, right? Reflections and shadows no longer apply to Joe, so if he can distance himself from those other three, the grotesques should have no uh, no power against him, no way to, to get to him. Joe sacrifices himself to Cronus, which should take care of that. Uh, he is now one of the mage. He then offers Earth, uh, just a little bit of dirt, and asks how to open the twelfth door. Uh, he then ascends a ladder, which will take him to Cambodia, 
and his mother who guards the 13th door. I don't have anything. Let's just move on. Chapter 12. Joe arrives in a bamboo treehouse and prepares himself for the challenge to come. As he does so, he realizes his rules have been wrong this whole time. Joe descends into a temple filled with hanging bodies and speaks to the tree. It is the killing tree, and it explains that Joe's father wrote the guide. Joe continues into the ruins, approaching where the grotesques and his parents are gathered. He sees a teepee and knows it to be the 13th room. Joe watches as his parents send a man into the teepee with a pair of items, trying to discern the correct oracle. The man is instantly aged to death. Laverna then brings forth and interrogates uh, the clavinger, or the keeper, of the door. Mr. Sharky. He's he, Russian. He's not a real shark. That was disappointing. What if it had been the, the Toy Story shark? Look, I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Yeah. Well, at least then when all that, that uh, ocean gets released, in the, uh, he'd be like, yay! He <laughs> just used my correct element. He just goes around going, dan 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 da no, I'm just playing with you. <laughs> Uh, Joe can't stand to watch, so he makes himself known and calls forth the three birds. Iolairn the eagle. I don't remember which chapter he was from. Griswold the raven and Taro the owl. He is from Ireland. He summons more birds to protect him from the grotesques, then duels his mother using his sword and staff. Joe's dad tries to stop Laverna, but she knocks him aside and summons the infinite ocean to flood the area. Joe flees, and when he takes a moment to rest, he has a vision of a volcano in Peru, 1848, when Taliesin was created. Around the volcano stands almost everyone Joe has met on the journey, 23 in all. They agree to seal and protect the 23 doors, not 13. Uh, but Joe's father, along with Laverna, betrays them. Joe awakes above the infinite ocean, where Laverna waits and Thomas and Mr. Sharky flute. Uh, Laverna tells Joe that she is not his mother, and she and Thomas clash, consuming the magic of the area and destroying the 12th room. Joe falls into the ocean, and his father joins him in the water. There is nothing else. This whole book feels like a series that yeah. he just started cutting out chapters of and then pasting what was left. Because this feels like the ending of, like, a multi-year event. Yeah. It feels really weird to have this climax at the end of just one novel that's only, like, mm -hmm. three or four hundred pages. Yeah. It was it was a lot. I was very overwhelmed. It's really, it's like, it's, it's like trying to sell somebody on your series and your synopsis just keeps getting longer and longer until it kind of looks like a book but isn't quite. That's what this feels like to yeah. me. Yeah, it feels like a very filled out outline. It feels like he had all these ideas and then he made the, and it, but then instead of reworking and fleshing out into what probably should be a, probably what, like a four book series or something like yeah. that to give proper pacing for these characters and for the sheer number of ideas that he wants to include. Uh, but instead he was just like, okay, here's my Bible of what I want to do. And they're like, just print it. And he's like, what? Well, we can do that? <laughs> yeah, just print it. Just okay. add, add, add a little more dialogue and just print it. All right. Yeah, I don't even have much to remark on just because it was just so... It's so, so much. much. It's just so much by the end. You're just like, I don't know. Okay, yep. Yeah, I, I, was, I was pretty exhausted. Just parade them on through. Just, yep, and then flood the world. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a thing that'll happen. Sure. Yeah, why not? Yeah, let's sacrifice, like, native Cambodians to this tent thing that's that's terrific to be fair I she mean, is the villain so i, I just i just uh, she could have done it at the top of like a pyramid above uh, like on a like a, a stone platform and like those are aztecs that is in mexico you're racist <laughs> the aztecs in azteca 
They ordered really good Mexican food. <laughs> oh, we, we jokingly say quesadilla because of uh, right. Napoleon Dynamite. Right. Don't do that because then we were actually were somewhere my mother was trying to order. She said quesadilla and went, Dia, quesadilla. <laughs> She's like, no, I know what it's actually called. Yeah. <laughs> I'm white, but I'm not that white. Right. <laughs> Of course, this was the Taco Bell drive-thru. Yeah. And me and my brother just erupted in the, in the uh, laughter. <laughs> Chapter 13. Joe awakes and finds himself in Monument Valley, Arizona with his father. This is the 13th room. Thomas confirms that Laverna is dead. Together, they go outside and meet with a shaman, who explains that this whole journey has been, in a way, one inside Joe to learn himself. Thomas followed a similar path but failed. Thomas asks the shaman to let him stay so he can renounce his allegiance to the grotesques and choose a new path. Joe, on the other hand, must take his rightful place as the new guardian of the labyrinth. Joe passes back through the rooms and finds himself at the exact moment he started this journey. He feels himself begin to age and starts to run towards the house. This is where they needed a sensitivity reader again. Red skin! So we did, We went there. Like, oh yeah, he did, he did and say I, that. And yeah. I, I went... I actually out loud went, no. Yeah. And uh, also the guy's just like, oh yeah, I, I'm a healer and I'm a skinwalker. And I was like, that doesn't sound right. And I went to Wikipedia and they're all like, skinwalkers are not healers. Yeah. And I, said, and I was just like, yeah. that's my thought. Yeah. I was like, that's not right. No, skinwalkers are like witches and that kind of thing. But yeah. they're not, definitely not healers. Yeah. And that's they're a, not a, like, a they're not a benign, thing, yeah. they're not a benign force. Yeah. And it's something that's... Aren't uh, the Skinwalker, is that the same as the Wendigo? Or is it just, it's, is it similar? Um, I think it's actually different, but as a result of, uh, like, white people getting hold of it, it kind of has become that, just because, like, we don't under like, it's not something that's supposed to be discussed with outsiders, like, outside the, the tribe and, like, the stories, but we've gotten wind of it and then, of course, fucked it up. But that's what I've read on, like, the Wikipedia, and, yeah. Because right, um, I know about it in a couple of different contexts. I know one is it's, like, a, as the Wendigo would be, like, the result of, um, uh, can, like, cannibalism. It's, like, a... Well, it's, 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 they're, like, you can take, like, forms of animals is, like, what that was part of it, of being the skinwalker. But you're definitely not a healer. Yeah. It's definitely not that. So when he's like, oh, I'm a skinwalker. I become an animal. And I go, there's more to it than that. Yeah. I was like, that, you know, like, <laughs> I was yeah. like, that That doesn't sound right, but I don't know enough right. about this particular culture to right. refute it. So right. Like, and it's no, also no, no, like, no. there's a Native American guest that are mystical. Right. You know, it's, it's like, never just somebody... it can't just be, yeah, I drive a truck. <laughs> or, or like yeah, I'm really into baseball. I go to the powwow when we when we do it, and I I know like the dances and stuff, yeah. but that's kind of the extent of it. Yeah, because we don't really have the language anymore because that was eradicated. Yeah, but yeah. Do we have anything else to say about this chapter? It's like it's oh, but he's like okay, she's not my mom. Who is my mom? Not now. And I'm like, when then? Right. We're wrapping up. <laughs> we have one just, chapter left. Just tell her who the freaking mom is. Um, yeah, well, because this is the chapter where I was like, okay, now everything gets explained. It's like, well, a little bit. But then so much of it is just like, ooh. Yeah. Ooh. It yeah. was all in your mind, but it wasn't. You had the power to move between the rooms anyway. You didn't need the oracles. In truth. Like, Do you know how much 
stress I was under? <laughs> In truth, this is just a regular house. We just decorated each room a little differently. <laughs> you spent six months walking from one to the other. We're like, is he okay? <laughs> you need food really bad. And We're delivering dominoes as we speak. <laughs> and you stained the carpets badly. <laughs> Stop letting birds in. They're ruining the finish on our tables. The other guests are getting upset. The child that won the contest is here and he keeps wondering why you're walking around in a daze. And he's crying. (laughs) Is he a ghost? You keep calling him a grim grotesque, but he can't help. He has alopecia. (laughs) Eczema. Okay. (laughs) I guess that's it. Let's wrap this up. Chapter zero. Joe reaches the house again. Uh, and has aged into adulthood. He runs into Gunner, confronts him about his sister, and throws Gunner's knife into the street. Gunner runs to get it and is hit by a car. Uh-huh. The same car that, that was searching for Joe at the beginning, that disappears into the night. Joe recognizes the passengers in the car as Niramelli, or whatever his name was, and Jinlin. Jinlin reveals herself as Joe's mother, who has been <laughs> searching for him for a long time, but couldn't because his medicine obscured his location. Griswold reminds Joe he cannot leave the house due to the toll his journey took on him. But Jinlin tells Joe she'll be waiting in one of the rooms for him where, whenever he wishes to visit. Joe goes back to the house and embraces his power, the magic inside everyone, and prepares Taliston for the next child who needs it. So, like, did they get a divorce? She thought the kid was dead. Did she also think that her, like, her husband was dead? Or did, did he just leave and, like, marry her and he's a bigamist? And also she's like, you showed up and I didn't know it was you because I'd stopped looking for you. And I was like, you were calling him by all three names. What do you mean you didn't know him? So I, I didn't know that you were that Joe Darkin. <laughs> Joe... Joseph Elijah Darkin. Was it Elijah? Or am was I just it? making it up? Joseph Frodo Darkin. Listen, Joseph Frodo Darkin. So does that mean that any kid who goes in automatically has to become the new guardian and loses the rest of their life to this? Or, like, was he just, like, why did he have to do it? Because he was the queen's... No, it's not even this... Because his dad screwed it up? So then he had to fix it? I don't know. I was super confused. All right. So that was The Stranger's Guide to Taliesin. It's... There are a lot of things in here that I'm like, I think that if this had been restructured to be a little bit less unwieldy, I guess a lot less unwieldy, I think I could have really gotten down with a lot of it. Yeah, because you liked the first Miss Peregrine book. I did like the first Miss Peregrine book, and I like Pendragon, which is a similar, like, time and space hopping concept where there's always, each location has, like, a central conflict, and doing that, it kind of provides you the, kind of, like, the boost into the next one, and so... That has been executed really well, and I think that there's potential here for something similar to happen with a more historical bent. I think that in its current state, it doesn't really hit that mark just because it's... Because Pendragon is 10 books of, like, four to 600 pages a book, and it needs that space. This is trying to cram, like, the equivalent level of lore into three to 400 pages. Yeah. And it just... It's it's so much. It's so dense with information. And you're like, how much of this do I need to remember? Oh, all of it? Okay. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and so that's, that was, that was probably the, that was the most challenging aspect of it is that yeah. there's just a lot in there that could be good if it were given more room to breathe and... It wouldn't have been so overwhelming. Yeah. You wouldn't be in so many instances of like throwing up your arms going, fine, I guess. Yeah. Like, cause I did that a lot. I was like, 
that meme reaction people use from that comic where the guy's got his arms folded and then he goes, I guess, is like <laughs> me through this whole book. <laughs> yeah, and then I think it would have felt less like you wouldn't have been introducing so many new concepts so late in the game because the, they would have been the equivalent of like the beginning of the last book. And it's like, okay, but then you have that whole book to get comfortable with them and explore what they mean. Mm-hmm. So there we go. That was... Yeah. That was, that was, was that? The Stranger's Guide. Hello, Fellow Kids is hosted by Mara and Josh and produced by Josh. Music provided by Ben Ash. Visit him at benash.com. If you'd like to contact us, please do so. hfkpodcast at gmail.com or at hfkpodcast on Twitter and Instagram. We are on Goodreads if you want to listen to us somewhere besides SoundCloud. And we are on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Radio Public, anywhere that you get podcasts, pretty much. And since this was a bonus episode, you already know that next month we are reading and it's a garden street. So thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.